Like, do you know what I'm talking about? Like, they, it was, yeah, like the early Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles where they're first introducing, like, they're at the wet, random warehouse with all of their video games uh, and stolen property, and there's the one guy walking away with, like, a giant-ass mohawk. That's, like, what I... Uh, with the guy who comes to Warthog, right? I guess. I guess. Because <laughs> I'm only talking about, like, the singular movie that I cared about, because I think they did, like, one, two, or three live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle movies. Um, and I just, I only ever saw the one. I was not given a lot of access to a lot of media as a kid, so it just didn't play out very well. But Mohawks, I always thought about that. And I think I did want one at one point. I just never did anything about it or couldn't do anything about it. Also, well, welcome Mitchell McMurray to the Jailhouse podcast. Um, how are we doing? Still stretching out from the day. Good. Good. Easy day. I hear us. And you were telling me before we got on that, like, Salt Lake, or at least your side of uh, the Salt Lake world on Tooele has gotten a bunch of snow, so you've just been holed up for the past, like, day or something like that. Chilled all Sunday. Snowed all Sunday. I was the shovel, and I don't think I went out of the house even. Fantastic. That's... <sighs> did you even, like, have to worry about shoveling anything outside, or did you just, like, stay home and not even... Did you even work on Wednesday, on weekends or anything like that? Uh, if I don't have my cadence, I work on Saturdays, but, um, I work actually, they're doing maintenance in the machine shop, so it's been shut down for three days, they're supposed to get back up and going tonight. Alright. I wasn't able to go in. Makes sense. <laughs> Makes sense. So, I have a driveway I have to shovel, because I have a house. So, so did you, well, did, yeah, you, did you actually clear. get that shoveled at the top of the morning, or did you just wait and let that ice over? No, I waited till like... 11 30 and then went shoveled and ice that salt down so the ice wouldn't stay down okay i that's what i had to learn as a floridian is that you probably want to move all of the snow <laughs> as as soon as it's stopped snowing that way because the, the powder is way easier to move than once it's like had like a day to like melt a bit and then refreeze mm -hmm. i guess it slows down you put Go shovel real quick and put salt down so anything else that goes down kind of dissolves Instantly away. Instantly melts, so yeah. So when the sun comes out, you're good. Yeah, no, my job, yeah. out, my job I had there, I basically had to help. How do we do it? They did pay someone to clear out the parking lot, like with the truck or whatever, but they would always show up like an hour or two after we had all gotten there. So after a point, it's like, all right, just ah. get, get the shovels out, just clear out. Like, I would just start doing simple lines down where the um the parking lines were so people could just see the lines park their cars on top of the snow and then have clean like shoveled places to walk because i just thought that was clever because it's like all right now you know where to park i don't care if you park on top of snow and now you've got no snowed not stepped on snow that now is like extra slippery like it's better to walk on powder than it is to walk on where someone else has kind of walked too much on with snow or Melted ice, as I've as I learned. Yeah, I mean, if you get pressure on it, right? Yeah, it still gets compact, and then that's what turns to ice. Yeah, or so just, if you don't get cleared out in time, or just slippery, slidey slush that'll murder, that'll make you drop a bunch of shit on your fucking face. Because I, I was delivering a lot out to Park City and everything, so that just meant that I had to learn how to walk down um, undeveloped front yards, let's say, <laughs> with like a fresh foot of powder on it. <laughs> And hope I could get inside with like thousands of dollars of, of equipment without hurting myself or it. Um, <laughs> like, don't drop this, don't drop it, don't drop it. 
kind of it was more of just like putting my foot down and figuring out how far down the snow went and if i was about to put my foot in between a bunch of rocks you know just worrying about some so, yeah what so when you came back came here from florida did you have you even seen like an ice scraper or anything before for the car i think i'd seen it somehow or some way or another um <laughs> i because i well i'd seen snow a few times as a kid so like i I know my parents like went out to like Colorado for like skiing or snowboarding or or skiing or snowing, and so I technically saw snow as like an infant, but that doesn't fucking count. Um, so I had seen snow when we went up to the Carolinas um, and skied with my uh, aunt and uncle in that area uh, at Chimney Rock uh, specifically was the area, if I recall. Um, or at least I know we stayed in Chimney Rock on one trip. There might not have been any snow on that trip. Um, my mom took me out to Park City when I was around fourth grade age, so I got to ski out there long before it probably got way as built up as it is now. Because um, that's like, what, what would be, was it five years old was kindergarten, so nine, ten years old, it's 2024 now. That would have been like 03, right? If I'm doing my math correctly. Um, so... So yeah, I like I like skied, I'd snowboard, I'd I'd seen snow, all of that. Um, what I w sort of had to get used to was what's like sort of the regular maintenance and what's the regular interaction walking in and around snow because, like when we arrived in Park City for that for that trip, my mom and I like everything was all clear, like the whole hillside was covered in snow, it was all pretty, and she's like got me feared about snow blindness or whatever, so I'm trying not to look at the snow too much because it's gonna blind me, supposedly. Um, and it's such a out of my normal world experience that it's just everything's so novel that there's no pattern tracking, let's say. Um, it's only after like I went through my first season um, doing pest control in, in Utah that I learned how to sort of walk around in snow with a constant sort of soft trepidation just in case you're going to step on things that the snow easily covered. Um, and then realizing that like, I, I can tell when I can tell now looking at like videos from um, Brighton Resort, like oh that snow is fresh because the trees still have the snow on them. It's it's like you know forty eight hours, seventy two hours, like all that snow is like iced over enough that it's gotten solid enough and melted enough that it just has fallen off. So like I could I could vision I, I could visually track what's happening on a video now from living in it for three years. Um, but yeah, for ice scrapers, like everyone's seen a snow shovel like in Home Alone or whatever, like little hand scrapers or crap like that. Um, had not really seen them before and hadn't really ever obviously had a use for them. You know, I, even though I live in Florida, like I have two umbrellas, I think technically in my car and I actually barely fucking use those things or used them before. Cause after a point, like I don't want to deal with putting on and off a raincoat or dealing with an umbrella. So just run to the house or run into work and just deal with it. That was kind of how it is for the weather we have down here. Umbrellas are nice. Cause uh, obviously I can't put anything on my head very well. <laughs> you must have the mohawk, so you must umbrella is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Oh. Checks out. Um, so I know at least with, uh, with Dennis, and I think with a lot of people that I'll have on with Salt Lake, a lot of these first podcasts um, are going to be kind of introductions. Um, I, have the great I had the great misfortune of organizing and being the uh, person in the chair for a roast, that, and, I was, and no one knew who the fuck I was. Um, <laughs> Which is which, which is both funny and 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 subtly tragic. Um, so, um, if if you don't mind, we could probably we could jump into sort of your background and sort of it sounds because 
we could jump into your background and sort of how you came to comedy and all those things like that. Um, and you kind of let me know where you want to go with that. And so, um, but yeah, that's one avenue that we can sort of go down in this conversation, if you like. Unless you have something else you want to well, talk yeah. about, you know. What you want to know about the comedy? How I got into it, or? Well, yeah, I, I mean, we could we could do a bi we could do a biography conversation, like were you born and raised in Tooele in the Salt Lake area, and always saw comedy there? Or are you secretly from Detroit or something? Like, you know. <laughs> I grew up in West Jordan. I lived in Arizona for a year, but in West Jordan, ended up in Tooele just because that's where I could afford a house. So, like, you were just checking the Arizona and the Salt Lake market for, like, buying a house and just ended up back here? Well, I went, ended up in Arizona because what I originally went to school for, I went down there. Um, what did you go to school for? Yeah, not the money. Audio engineering, funnily enough. Auto engineering? <laughs> audio engineering. Audio, audio, audio engineering. Okay, okay. So, what, was would that put you uh, in, like, a producer category? Or, because, like... What does like audio engineering actually like do? Is that like making the TIE fighter sound on Star Wars from scratch or that would be Foley? So, the guys that do the sound effects for movies that they're called Foley artists. Okay, uh, what I went to school for is actually the guy behind the board, the soundboard. So, is music more of like so your first you like, a... love? Yeah, so when you go into like a, a studio or anything, uh. There's always the guy sitting behind the board pushing the buttons, failures, all that stuff. So he already has it set up for whoever's coming in. Mm -hmm. That's what I originally went to school for. Uh, but when I came back to Utah, uh, I had to do an internship to finish the schooling program. And I interned at a studio that no longer exists out in Draper, which was great. Uh, like that was a good experience? Or... It was a fantastic experience, but it wasn't paid <laughs> well yeah yeah it was, so, it was an old school internship it sounds like oh yeah and then they weren't able to afford to keep me on and the guy who mm -hmm. ran the studio uh and at one point the culture department at a company called science or co and got me a job there mm -hmm. and so i kind of exited out at that point but as i ended up going from there to comedy is when i was an engineer there and interning spent that and then i was working graveyard stocking shelves at a grocery store mm -hmm. so i didn't talk to people much <laughs> yeah and so i needed something to get realized at one point i needed something to get me out of my kind of zone that i was in especially after i lost that job so i, I kind of i think that yeah, down. i think there's something about you that you and i might be similar about um so one thing that I learned going from a town that I know quite a few people in, like I, I spent like 30 years of my life, I would say it's just the easy number um, in the central Florida area. Like I, I lived in two in between two counties, um, either uh, either Orange County or Seminole County for the better part of 30 years. Um, but going out to Salt Lake was sort of like a hard reset. Um, and I learned that I needed to talk to more people than, like, my two friends online and my wife. Otherwise, I would be in this soft, depressive state. Um, and is that kind of what you're talking about? You experienced going from, like, the internship and then just stocking shelves pretty much by yourself. Like, people that don't know, it sounds like you were on, a, you were on an overnight midnight shift. That is actually a surprisingly isolated job, even though there's, like, 
10 dudes in the same store because you're all working different aisles typically. And so you're just locked into your headphones doing your work. But it sounds like, did you discover that you needed more socializing just to keep a healthy mental or, or what, what was happening there? Yeah, so when I lost, uh, I was doing that, I didn't have, you know what I mean? Like you kind of have to have a crowd of people around you. Mm -hmm. I had the people I'd grown up with, like you said, a couple of people I talked to and whatnot. And then I had that, and I picked up the sandwich code job, and I worked that for three and a half years, just kind of steadily. Mm -hmm. But I lost that job uh, when the market crashed, kind of for it for a while. Like in 08? And I or... had nothing to fall back on. No, uh, actually, when Trump got elected. <laughs> really? <laughs> like... Yeah. Best gun salesman is a Democrat, dude. Oh, God. Democrats are in office, everything goes up. I, I remember office, that. I, 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 I remember that, yeah. Democrats getting elected usually, like, perks up the black market to, or at least that's part of the angle is just buy up a bunch of the inventory available from all the makers, and then you can just flip them with, for, scared, for scared persons, let's say. Oh, yeah, for sure. They went from making, like, 10 mil a month to the barely breaking even uh -huh. they had a mass layoff of over 100 people and then you're just talking so, about one of the regular grocery retailers that you were working at no so this was this was actually i did the groceries and then i got the job at science or afterwards so i still was i worked there's a machinist when you're working as a machinist it's very similar to stocking shelves okay where it's just you and the machine so you only have a few people that you talk to that are training stuff you at least so it's similar you know, it's similar in how thing. are you saying it's similar in how isolated you are yeah yeah okay so it's just you and the machine you're not talking to people yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. warehouse was it so was it still that, a late night shift yeah it was a swing shift yeah so uh, i got out at about two in the morning. Oh fuck! Oh fuck that! Two a.m. Yeah, fuck that, man. <laughs> That's so bad. It's not. So you don't talk to people. So I went from stocking shelves at midnight and then getting out at two a.m. Same thing, just kind of that isolation. And so when I started with that, as you called it, soft kind of uh, despair from that, and then you lose that job and everything kind of holding you up didn't have anything to fall back on right and so i kind of had to build everything back up as my life went and so you fall into that kind of desperation and you kind of look for what you want to do again after that what i mean yeah i think a lot of people and are getting that from after covid is that once you hit like a type of rock bottom you sort of reevaluate your values get to kind of like have a chance to voice what you're doing next. Is that kind of what happened at, at that time? And how old were you when this was happening? Like, were you single when this was all going down? Because this would be, no. what was this, like 2016, right? So, uh, 2016, 20, I think I lost the job. Yeah, I lost the job June in 2016. Right. And I had had, I had, Yeah, and so I had barely had my second kid. I was already married. I got married twenty fourteen, twenty thirteen. Sorry, right? Twenty thirteen, and so ended up having kids pretty quick because I think most people have kids at some point. You don't necessarily try to have kids; you just stop preventing it. Does that make sense? <laughs> 
I guess they're just like they get more Catholic, <laughs> or what are we saying here? Like, they... no, you just get loose. Like you stop, mm-hmm. and we just stopped like buying protection. Essentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, crazy. I'm with you. I'm with you. <laughs> I'm with you. She goes over my head a little bit, man. I was born blonde. That's my excuse. Um, no, I get that. I get that. So, uh, well, after some fucking point, the raw dog is just better than the latex. Like this, is just... We're on both sides. Every time. Every time. Every time. <laughs> Every time. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and so I'm stuck there. I just lost this job. I don't have any background really mm-hmm. to like rely on because I don't have people. I've got two kids, one brand new. It's like, uh, what do I do at this point? And so I picked up whatever jobs I could and realized that I had to get out more. So I started getting out and going to the comedy shows, seeing professionals, and then figuring out when the open mic was. And it actually took me till 2019 to really realize that if you go to an open mic and you see that stuff, oh, anybody can sign up and go up. Yeah. But it took me all the way from that point, 2019, to start going up and creating actual like friendships and stuff with people. Just weird. And the wrong time, obviously. What do you mean um, at the wrong time? So I started going started going up like late October, early November. Of like 2019. Right. And that's like a year before the pandemic. Like the pandemic hit up like February, March of 2020, right? Yeah, February. Yeah. So I only had a few months of doing it before everything shut down. Yeah, that's where... I think yeah, this a lot where, of people this, had that experience. Yeah, I know Chuck had the same story. Um, I could have had a very similar story. Uh, part of the thing that I, I think, at least with how I, I sew my own narrative, is that me and Chuck technically could have started at the same time, I think. Because my wife and I moved to Salt Lake in like December 2020, pretty much. And I'd already done a few open mics here in Orlando at the improv at the other bar, but I had not, I had yet to discover the part of the the socializing thing that would help me just overcome all of the excess fear or, 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 you know, um, anxieties or paranoias or whatnot that can show up. Um, so I, I'd learned this, like, yeah, I need to talk to more people to like, (laughs) not be a depressive but I also, in order to do like stand up, because I'd I'd love stand up pretty much since like the blue collar comedy tour, that um, getting getting into the community and getting to know people and doing that social engagement, um, kind of made me perfectly happy to go on stage and do well or do poorly, you know, kind of free to fail or f- free to succeed, and be be actively, I guess, more analytically productive than emotionally like volatile with with the craft, I guess, as another thing. So now, now the, always the classic opening question that I have to ask everyone is like, now, what was your relationship with like comedy and stand-up comedy? Like before you started going to wise guys. And I think you were, it sounds like you were just getting a lot of value out of just the social element. Like, it sounds like that was at least your first priority, but like, what was your, what was your initial, um, introduction to sort of comedy, um, and even stand-up? And then what's your sort of relationship with, I guess, the art form? Because it sounds like the social side is really helping you, like, exist as, like, a healthier person. With the art form itself, the first person I saw live was actually at what's now the Delta Center. Mm-hmm. Um, 
was the Delta Center. Back to the Delta Center. Saw Brian Regan there. Uh, what year? That was the first person I seen live. My first introduction was Brian Regan. And, did you see him? Uh, well, Gabriel did you Iglesias. see? I know you can't. Well, Gabriel Iglesias. Both of those are good mentions. Those, those are both obvious big, big stars. Uh, do you remember what kind of age you were? Like, would you see him as an adult, as a kid, as a teen, or anything like that? I was, I was an adult. It was, it was definitely post 2016. Right. So I had between 2016 and 2018. So I think it had to be. I was married at the time. Right. So nice. Okay. Anyway, Went and saw. That was so that was, so around 2016 with one of one or both of those those uh, comics. That was your first Brian Regan specifically, but that was your first time like sort of seeing stand up comedy or experiencing in like it at like at all. Seeing it, seeing it live. I watched right. it on like TV and stuff. It okay. was one of those things that uh, was kind of growing up in a very religious household. It was one of those things that was very looked at as taboo. Uh huh. It's that always was fun for me. Did you, always, <laughs> did you always have to just dodge Comedy Central or dodge when your parents were seeing you watch Comedy Central or something like that? Or Oh, yeah, for sure. A lot of different things. Right. Okay. So you see, so you see it live. You had it sneaked in via cable when your parents weren't watching because I'm, I'm going to assume you grew up Mormon out there in Salt Lake and everything, right? Pretty much so. Did you go as far as the mission trips and everything? I never went on a mission. You, you dodged that. I do that. You dodged that bullet. Okay. I, had, I had an argument my senior year of high school. Mm -hmm. As soon as I turned 18. I turned 18 right at the top. I was in the older kind of half of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As soon as I went 18, I was like, I'm a man now. I went up to my parents. I was like, I don't want to go to church or anything anymore. And I got the whole, yeah, well, you still live in our house, so you're going you're gonna to do that anyways. <laughs> And so <laughs> I ended up moving out uh, three days after my high school graduation. I had three boxes worth of stuff that I threw in the back of my other time's girlfriend's car and just I took off, left. <laughs> Fair enough. Wow. So I ended up dodging the old Mormon missionary thing, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So, Goodness. yeah, so then it sounds like you get the, so you get the influence like in 2016. So that's like four years before like the pandemic. So what, do you, were you just like kind of passively trying to, were you stuck in work, but aware of the art form, but un, but unaware of how to get into it? Is that kind of what happened for the next four years? Yeah. I mean, I was trying to build myself back up, trying to figure out what to do for a living. Mm -hmm. I had two kids, trying to earn that living and in a depressive state. And it's hard when you get in that depressive state, you know what I mean, to kind of push yourself to do things. Yeah, yeah. And so that was kind of like my hobbies, checking out, listening to whatnot. I used to sit at work and listen to different comedians. But on, uh, at first it was Pandora, because I didn't know what Spotify was. And then later on Spotify, I'd sit and listen to comics so while I was working and everything. But, you know, coming from the household where comedy was looked at as something that was taboo i had no idea how to get into it how people did it what the yeah kind of course behind it was not really pushing myself about 2019 i started going to wednesday open mics right and just watching before i realized like oh i can get up here and do it and i was really uh 
I don't know if you have this. There's two different anxieties that I have. Okay. Obviously, being on stage, but it was also big. It still is a big anxiety to talk to even just tables full of people. Okay. I don't know if that makes sense. Like no, no, jumping no, no. into I, a group like, initially to talk to people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the way I was, I, I the way I thought you were going, but it's it would be my attempt to sort of relate to what you're talking about is my anxiety. Uh, and I think we talked about this before, like at Midway or something. Is that like on even post uh, after the roast was done? Is that my initial anxiety was going up and doing kind of jokes or bringing up taboo subjects that was going to get me excommunicated from the comedy world, from like the comics in the in the room before I could even become even a half-assed comic. And then also, of course, the audience rejecting you. So, like, that that was how my brain worked for, like, the two anxieties, the two negative polarities. But once I met comics and removed the weird take, I could give a fuck about the audience for some reason. Because I had... I don't know if, a, if another way to put that is, like, I had, my, I had the comics backing me. It's like, no, we're all here to be idiots and try to be funny. So even if you really fuck up. But it sounds like what you're talking about is... You have the you have the anxiety of just going up there and doing jokes in like a just open area where you're just talking to the room, but then you have another anxiety. Are you talking about this the act of doing the crowd work of going to a table and like and and playing wits with them? Like kind of, I know he's a little hot topic right now, but doing like what Matt Reif and even um uh, Russell Peters is an, is another example of a comic that does a lot of crowd work. In, in their act, and, and that gives you big anxiety when that when you try to do that, or what, what are we talking about here? No, as far as uh, like anxiety of like even before when everybody shows up, like mm -hmm. to why guys are sitting at the table and stuff, I'm pretty often like, just sitting there listening, pretty quiet, right? Because I have no idea, not that I have no idea, but it's really hard for me to just engage in a big group as far as the conversation goes for networking and talking to other comedians and stuff okay so you're talking like off stage like, much more even off stage yeah so is it on stage or off stage like what are we because it sounds like there's like th we're about to it feels like we're about to have three things here two <laughs> I, I have the anxiety for both on stage and like networking with other comedians as far as like showing it before i'll just sit at the table and not say anything and just listen to other people like if there's more than four people at a table, I have a hard time whipping in. Uh huh. Like the conversation. Would you prioritize? Would so you I feel like it's been hard to? Yeah, keep going. It's hard to uh, network and create like like that because I sat in you know like a studio which is a dark room with no windows and yeah. stuff like that. So networking in front of like ten people where they're all talking back and forth and stuff, creating like that dialogue. Yeah. Gives me. Big okay so so that one i think is clear that the off stage out and about or even like before shows going on and socializing and it sounds like you have what i would call the introverts max number um and it may and would you profile yourself as more of an introvert or extrovert i think that's a good little thing to start introvert introvert 100 percent introvert yeah okay Okay, you're you're just the brash introvert. Is would be I think, a way of profiling your image and how you carry yourself. Um, that's fun. That's awesome. Um, because it, so it sounds like I was right. Because one thing that I've identified with certain um, friends of mine that were super funny. Like I wish they'd done like stand up or had done comedy, but 
I would watch certain people that were really funny in small groups. Once the body count in the group or the room got between like, I guess, four or six, it got to a certain number, they just quieted down. Because once it gets to that number, there's a certain level of fight that has to occur. And it's kind of like the most extroverted personality, per se. Um, whether it could be a bully or just someone that is just highly extroverted like myself, they will end up sort of dominating that coalition of socialization, let's say. Does that, does that sound reasonable, my sort of hypo yeah. my theory crafting here? Um, and so it sounds like by your natural personality trait, both being an introvert um, and which I would kind of classify as someone that would recharges by themselves. Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, um, bring your own thing. Yeah, because I think I think you learn that I need to talk to people because I am human. I am a social animal, but I don't need to talk to like ten people. Meanwhile, <laughs> like, and that that I think we both understood or have learned about needing to talk to people to not get into that incredibly isolated, depressive state. But like the different, our differences start splitting when it's like, no, I need to, I. Me talking to people could allow me to go for 24 hours straight with, like, no rest. Like, talking to people gives me sort of energy and, and propels me. Because um, I'm kind of, I want to kind of go back to, not the first time we met at the Tabernacle, but I would call the second time we met, um, when I was at Wise Guys, and it was Corey Bay there, uh, Liam was there, and you were there in, um, 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 Johnson, um, Josh, and Josh was there. Josh, uh, I, Josh, I yeah, how, white I ball, white, white ball, right Josh, white ball, Pardon. Josh, with yeah, with the slow, with the slow jokes or whatnot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With the slow, clever Josh jokes. Martin. Yeah, Josh Martin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I go back to that because I, I tracked you. I've been watching you because you were the only person in the comedy scene that I'd like met and had a conversation with back at the Tabernacle when I was a much more paranoid and scared uh, version of myself, um, as you may recall. Uh, <laughs> and, um, and so I'm, I'm going to where I saw you. I was sitting off to the side out there in that little porch area. In this Downtown Salt Lake has a very good walking area in that, this little strip of the gateway, I guess, right in front of, the wise, right in front of wise guys and such. And mm. it, was that, it, was, it was that day that I decided, like, okay, my issue isn't the joke writing part or, or the getting, it's the, it's the part where I need to go and talk to people. Like somehow I learned as like what I talked to you about, what I told you before is like, I need to go talk to people to like get over this. So I went over, I used you as like a pivot point to just, I don't know, somewhere in my brain, I was like, Mitch is going to validate me as like a, as a, as a person we're spending any amount of time with by just, I guess, not kicking me out in five seconds. Um, <laughs> And so I just started engaging with people and tossing, but you stayed quiet more often than not because I imagine like the body count hit that limit for you, and maybe you just weren't interested at the time as well, right? Something like that. Yeah, for sure. I was always, especially because I was fairly new at the same time. Yeah. I, well, and this is this past summer. Had a hard time. This is this past summer. This is this past June. This is June or July. That's that's like I actually have the damn note on like a journal notepad. And this is where, like, I'm remembering oh, a very cool. important moment for me. This is just another Tuesday for you, probably. Probably, sorry. Oh, you're good, you're good. <laughs> yeah, you're good. I don't know. I, I get quiet really easily. Yeah. I like to sit and kind of just watch 
the things that are happening and going on. But yeah, no, but that's where I, I do want to bring it back um, to the part where you were talking about how it gets to a certain, it's not even that it sounds like it's a certain, it's a certain body count. Do you just have like a, you have, cause I, I feel like this is an imposter syndrome issue for a lot of people that are in content creation, which is a, just another way we can talk about, you know, what comedy is. Um, do you feel like there's a disingenuousness or some sort of hackiness of trying to like go and meet people for in that networking act activity with talking to talking to comics or talking to people, you know, when you're not on stage? Yeah, for sure. I mean, we're all there for that stage time. And so that's the important kind of thing. So I don't know. I also think I'd learn more by uh, sitting and listening rather than mm -hmm. in the center. It's weird. Like, I think part of it for me is that my whole life being kind of the well, actually, my family, I was always interested in stuff that nobody else was interested in and all that. I think there's a certain level of time where you can be the center of attention. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Okay. And so that time is what we're there for. And so I don't know how to balance, per se, it is. As soon as everybody's there and there's talking, there's multiple. I have a quiet voice. I can't talk over people very well. Right. I've never liked my own voice as far as the sound of it. Which is weird, I guess, as far as being No, everyone's goes. like that. I know <laughs> I know I know college professors that they they decide to like identify with Johnny Depp because Johnny Depp never watches any of his movies. So college professors that I was friend quite friendly with, good people, they were like, I know I could get better if I listened to like my lectures and became a better sort of performer as a teacher but I can't even stand hearing my own voice. So like, that's a very normal human thing. I've, I've had to get used to editing my own content with my voice in it and just being like, I have to accept this and, and slip my wrist a little less as I listen to myself talk and just deal with that cringe of my own voice. So like, that's a very normal thing to, to not like your own voice. Yeah, and so I think, I think part of it is the energy that it takes for me to sit and talk into it as soon as you get that body count up higher and everybody gets busy and everybody's trying to talk over each other and stuff i just naturally pull back into my own head and watch what's going on okay it's, i don't know why it's a natural response but it is i don't think i ever heard my own voice until i started doing stand-up i didn't realize i don't know where i screwed it up or whatever at some point but my voice is oddly scratchy and kind of dry you you sound like you you sound like you've smoked a lot more yeah you sound like you've smoked a lot of cigarettes and drink a lot of whiskey kind of thing. Whiskey whiskey's good. I've never smoked anything. Anything ever? Nope. Wow. Okay. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you've told me that before, but it's still surprising with your aesthetic and everything. Like, no, he's a clean drinker, right. doesn't smoke a thing. It's like, but he's but he's a punk rocker. <laughs> yeah, you know. Well, I. I grew up around and like starting like middle school and stuff, bunch of skaters and whatnot and, and all that stuff. Yeah. And so I watched too many people do the whole drug thing and whatnot. And I you know a couple of people have overdosed and stuff. That's like, ah, I'm good. I'll just right. stick to whiskey. It's fine. Fair enough. What do you. I didn't even start drinking until I was almost 20. Alrighty. Yeah. That's a late start by American standards, at least, you know, <laughs> even though the legal is 21. 
what is well what is your sort of perspective then around that activity of networking because it sounds like you believe or have been told that there's value in the in the networking activity with like other comics and stuff but like what do you sort of see as that as the value in in the networking activity i mean you got a couple things right you have to network and able to get on different shows especially the bar shows and stuff mm -hmm. right Everybody wants to see the people that they like to see on their shows and the funnier people there. So part of it is, you know, the old saying, it's not necessarily what you know as much as who you know. Yeah, yeah. You have to be funny, but you also have to be able to know all the people who are running shows and whatnot. And they have to be able to feel comfortable with putting you onto a show. Mm -hmm. And then on top of it, the more people you actually are able to network with and talk with, uh, more likely are to get help with like writing and stuff as far as comedy goes, you know. Like you mentioned uh Dennis at the beginning of this, I'll go give people the like sticky notes with notes on it and stuff. Wait, you do that shit too? You have to be able to feel or, I don't do that. Or I, like you have to feel comfortable enough walking up to that person to be able to tell them anything, you know what I mean? Alright, cause, cause I know Dennis told me about how he used to give positive feedback, uh, sticky notes or whatnot, um, which I know people like Chuck have, like, really held on to. It's kind of, I think, what helped endear Dennis to, like, the entire community. Um, I have yet to have any negative words said about from anyone about Dennis. I mean, Spencer was like, I will protect you with my life at the roast and everything. So, um, but in your mind... So what did you actually just say about, like, the sticky notes as it related to Dennis? Are you talking about what he used to do, or are you talking about, like, just even giving people options to punch up their jokes? Just giving people options, right? To do something like that, or go up to anybody to give them notes, positive or negative, yeah. you have to be comfortable with that person. Right. It's networking to talk to that person. If you don't know the person, you can't just, you know what I mean? I have a hard time thinking people would just walk up and be like, ah, here you go. And and so you have to be able to be comfortable enough yeah. to have that conversation. So, well, part of me just is thinking, like, because, one, I, I do that. Um, I, did that for, I did that for Chuck, and him and I uh, talked about it. Um, not that there was, like, a, hey, get in line, kid. Um, it was much more of, he had a joke that had, like, a herpes reference or whatnot, and he had, had a herpes medication uh, reference. And I basically gave them the notes like I you need to figure out how to explain that medication or make that reference for the crowd to sort of be on the same page as you. So when you find a punch or get like or get this punch evolved or whatnot, that that can hit better. Um, and I think the last time I saw him run that joke, it, 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 it he had found even a different and an even better punch that like my help, I think, was just a step along the way. I don't even think any of my suggestions survived a month of him working out that joke, but that's not relevant to like the, the process of just being like, cause it's part of what I do. I was doing this last night at an open mic, just in my head, just watching someone perform and watching them clearly be in a, a much more raw state, but they're in a good premise. They're in a good joke. But I watched someone do like a, a comparison or attempt to begin like a, a comparison between um, one thing and another and then he went to a metaphorical difference of a comparison like and the first the first metaphor was sound as it related to the initial topic line the initial comparison that he has 
and I don't want to, I know this might get a little arbitrary. Um, so let's say he's comparing like the design of iPhones versus the design of like Androids, right? And this is not a part of his joke. I don't know the guy, so I don't want to give any of it, any parts of his material away. But he's running like a joke comparison between like an iPhone and an Android or something. And then he goes to like a metaphor comparison of like, uh, let's say it's a playground design versus like a different playground design. And like one of them is built like in a nice side of town. And one of them is just a bunch of chalk and a sidewalk. Like that's the sort of like rough comparison that I was metaphorically like running on is that I saw what he was doing. And I was like, you, you started with one metaphor to sort of give a, a, an aggrandizement of how good the iPhone is, but you didn't do an equivalent metaphorical comparison over to the shitty version, which was like his Android phone, let's say. Like, and his Android phone is like a, a 2006 or something like that. It's a piece of shit. And so he could run this metaphorical comparison and find punches inside of that. Um, and so that's what my brain was like worrying on. The moment I saw like the opportunity, I was like, I had to just go to my little sticky notes and just write it out. Like I have the guy's name on, I have the notes to give. I just didn't find the guy. And I am also like two open mics deep into <laughs> the Orlando scene having moved back. So it's one of those, like, I've met, I know one guy consistently at this point, and I'm still learning the names of, like, the two people, the two hosts of the two open mics that I have even been to yet. Um, so I, I sort of get, like, I believe that's a good way of saying, like, I get what you're talking about of, like, how often do you see opportunity in other, other, op other open micers' jokes, and you want to give them, like, punch-up opportunities, let's say? Like, do you see it a lot, or do you just have, like, little moments of that, or? You know, when I watch comedians, I tend to try and see where they're going in my head and mm -hmm. predict it. Right. But rarely do I actually go up to a comedian and say anything. I think I've only ever done it maybe twice. It's because it, that goes back to that imposter syndrome thing. Right. We're talking earlier. How did how did I was the like yeah, I'm not good enough to tell this guy what he's supposed to say. Right. Right. Figure it out. Right. That's and a so I just have it in my head. Yeah, that's a normal reaction for sure. Um the only reason I was able to give Chuck a note was just because um uh him and I had already like kind of well we kind of had bonded just by sh just by talking shit like we should have been in the back of the bar but we were just riffing back and forth while the open other open micers were going up and it's like we're being very rude right now but we can't help but just like banter over <laughs> everyone else's bits and stuff um uh so when i gave him the note like one i i think i'd explained it to him before but either way it was like you need to like bridge this i, I was coming in with the constructive and i also i think by my extroversion and like for me, what I realized if I was going to explain it to someone is that I have this like naive, optimistic childlikeness to like try to give you something that I think would be additive to what you're doing. And so part of the idea is that like, you know, here's a folded like like how I picture it in my mind, and I've never actually done this, but it's something about how I think about it. It's like here's a folded like sticky note with my with my notes with my little note on a bit that you just did inside of like your three or eight minutes right at this open mic you can either throw the note away immediately and never read it or you can open it and see if anything i just gave you is is serviceable to you and if it is great if it's not you can still throw it away 
I need to still be able to be helpful in how I react to how the comic reacts to my offer because I have nothing but like this competitiveness, this high attentionness, and this I want to see the win. Like you, like I remember I was at one Tuesday open mic uh, at Wise Guys and I was just texting myself. I was just texting myself notes for like every open micer as they were coming, just whether or not they were bad, whether or not they had a good premise, whether or not they were just rambling, um, whether they were too scared of silence, so they were filling all of the gaps with ums, ahs, and things like that. Like I had all of these notes running just to have a stream of consciousness. It wasn't ever going to get sent to anyone because I didn't fucking know anyone. Um, and so at least that's what I would give you is forget like, you know, and this is what I'd probably tell anyone is like, forget the part where you're not good enough to give anyone advice. That's cl that may have been doing it longer than you, or maybe better than you or whatever your brain tells you. It's much more of like, what am I trying to do? Like at the core of this and, at least for how I frame it for, for me personally, is like I'm seeing opportunity for someone to do something better and I can offer that and they can reject it or accept it and that their reaction's on them. My reaction to their reaction is on me and I don't ever want to stop being helpful because I think I'm clearly aiming for the good because, you know, it, it's never me. It's, it, it, as long as I'm coming from that more childlike sweet like helpfulness you can't really bash the kid over the head you can bash over the asshole it's coming in as like you suck do it like this you know like that that would be very if, if my ego was showing while giving someone or trying to be helpful to someone then that would be a bigger that would be a very proper reason to like you know get clobbered let's say at least in my head right. i don't know if that like makes Those sense to you or feels feels like anything useful to you as long as the feedback is more constructive or at least attempting to be constructive to the person rather than um, trying to bring them down. Yeah. 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 Like, that's, okay with it. yeah, that's, 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 that's a natural initial thing. Um, for sure. Did, what was your experience actually with giving anyone notes? Cause you said you gave notes like once or twice before to one or two comics, like. I think just twice, uh, neither more used. Fine. <laughs> well, how was it? It's just like, like, hey, this, yeah. this is what my what came up to my head when you said this line. Mm. This is what popped in my head. Yeah. And did you just like verbally uh, talk to no, them about it? Yeah, it was just a verbal. Right. I can't write down stuff. My handwriting sucks. So if I write down anything, it's more confusing than when if I just say it. <laughs> right. That's where I actually have, like, I think I've actually DM'd people those notes before as well. Um, no idea if they've been used or not, but I think that people were a little appreciative of it, but we'll see. I mean, one of those where I was also prepared to be like, it's an overexcited new comic. He's got all these good ideas. He's so hopeful. I'm not going to be a dick. <laughs> like, maybe it was something like that. How often do you write like, stuff that you don't actually use? In, like, in terms of just general jokes or, com or comedy or whatnot? Yeah. I would give it maybe a sixty forty. I how do I how do I think about this? I would say I I would call myself prolific only in the amount of premises I'm I am 
prepared to try to work with. Um, not in that I'm prolific and that everything I write is gold. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, I wrote a joke probably, like, a set or two before I went on last night. Um, and it's such a raw joke right now. I'm kind of okay, like, sharing it. Like, I was watching my wife play, like, one of her phone games while we're at the open mic. Um, and it made me think about how in solitaire, like, I play solitaire as, like, a brain-dead game. Like, if, if you and I were going to be having, like, a long phone call or something like that, and we weren't going to have a highly engaged, like, podcast, um, and we're just, like, passing time, I'd be playing solitaire while, like, listening to you and talking to you because I, enough of my brain can segment over to drive a car or to play solitaire while still having a full phone conversation with you. I can still listen to everything you're doing and if you bring about like something that requires like more ram to execute like the thought process around um instead of being an effective active listener then i can put the phone down and be like okay so we're gonna like problem solve our way through whatever this concept is whether it be you know turning a wrench or something let's say emotional or intellectual um but my frustration inside of solitaire i don't know why i went on that tangent just now my frustration with Solitaire, of course, because it's a free game, is that these ads always show up at the end of, like, every hand. And in my raw writing last night of it, it's like, I, that's almost worth paying the three bucks to just not get the ad. And, and with how, like, social media is these days, like, can I just pay the three bucks to just not know what the Palestinian scoreline is right now? Because I don't care right now. I'm making eggs. Like, I don't want to deal with this bullshit or something like that. And so I wrote that out because... I ran that metaphorical transition to go from because I, I guess I just was optimistic enough to see the opportunity of the annoyance of those ads on all the free apps that we play versus then having some ridiculous comparison to the great tragedy that's going and happening over in in Israel and such. Like, can I pay three bucks to just not get the bad news about people dying? That's a real inconvenience to me, or something like that. Is is the dark humor of that of that of that premise and joke attempt that I'm I, I just came up with and worked on? So I would say, especially with just how many things that I have written over the years, it's between like I'm I'm probably going near ten percent or less of what I've ever written and trying to like take on stage or work on or see if it has any legs. And then in terms of, like, recently done things since, like, geez, even some of the things that have come up since getting into it in Salt Lake in, like, June or July, I've probably used less than half of it. So for me, there's something of, like, a high turnover. I had my one Hulu joke that I've been able to have consistently sort of good results on, so I keep kind of going back to that one just to see if there's more to get out of it. Um, and I guess keep my initial morals, morale good um, for, for, for working in the craft. Um, but I, th I think that answers your question. Yeah, so you're, you're only using maybe, or attempting to use maybe 20% of anything you've ever written. Kind it's of. It's pretty similar to me. Yeah, because I, yeah, I think there was, I, I think, and, and Chuck kind of gave me this too, is that like the and I saw with the Ralphie May lecture that he did at the Comedy Store, I found that video on YouTube uh, in the last few months. Um, but there is something about like writing constantly um, and, and making it like a job, which I can appreciate that advice. It just doesn't apply to me because I'm very, very much and in every direction kind of personality um, for good or for better. Um, but 
I don't know. There's just something in my, from my, from my experience in my, my life of just being able to do the creative writing exercise of taking kind of anything and, and yeah, just trying to find the funny in it or find the peculiar in it or find the, the absurdity in it. Um, one, of the, one of the two things that I really like that I think Joe Rogan talks about is the tightness of a set. And I think um, Tom Segura's like Sledgehammer is one of the examples that just has stood out to me the most in the last few years. Um, because that set was ran so thoroughly by Tom in his tour, his Coming Everywhere tour, where he like toured it for like two years, that it was so tight and clean and crisp that the laughs per minute was just murderous. It was, it was fantastic, even just on a Netflix, of course, on a Netflix experience. Um, and then the other thing that um, I heard nerded about that I then realized what it was, was the kind of comic that was able to take like one concept, like let's say the Jaws movie or something like that, and just going down so deep inside of the story of the fictional world or how it works or how it doesn't work or how it works really stupidly versus how that like would have would how it's being interpreted by the rest of the world like all of the getting deep in the into the layers of a theme or a topic to where we've like thoroughly like shown how ridiculous the government is or how ridiculous blow pops are or something like that like the the depth is is like a very fun theoretical challenge to me um, and then the other part, because I'm, I'm such an over talker is, is getting the tightness is getting rid of all the excess talk on stage. Um, cause any, anyone that's ever been to an open mic, uh, knows there's some people that go on there and they ramble for their entire three minutes and they don't get a laugh because they're just on a stream of gosh, <laughs> I'm not even targeting you, Mitch. Shut the fuck up. I'm not even targeting you fucker. Um, oh, I'll do that sometimes. I will ramble. Oh yeah, I don't think I. I think I maybe got some chuckles last night, but most of it was like I had the audience's attention was the only thing that I clearly could see, because um, it was a clear it was a coffee shop, so it was Austin's Coffee here in in Orlando. Um, I had everyone's attention, but I didn't have like a setup punch, setup punch as I was going through whatever stories I was going through. Um, I need to listen to the recording, but but you know what I'm talking about, people that just are rambling up there and you're just like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, there's not even like a coherent thing happening here. Um, I think that's, that's, that's part of the things that I value at least. There is a nice like form to the tightness, but at the same time, you kind of, first, I guess I have to, I kind of have to suck at things for a while first before I can make them good. And so I get on stage or in random, I'll just take the pieces of the work and try and form them in a different way. Yeah, do you like do an audio Sometimes recording or a video recording like of your sets? Sorry, what? I used to do them every single time. I have stopped doing it. I've probably been a year or so. There's been a couple of people who have done filming of me for me and then send it to me. And that's been nice. But I feel like for me personally, I can't, can't overthink about what I'm doing on stage. I'm thinking about every single line when I'm up there. Right. I tend to overdo it, overthink it. So when something doesn't work, downhill side. Do you just suffer from overthinking in general? Probably. 
<laughs> like uh, I get inside my own head a lot, so probably checks out. Yeah, I, I never thought it as far as detail, like in general, but I know like as far as the jokes go, sometimes I can overthink it, and I'll stop a joke on stage and I'll forget what I was going to do as I'm thinking about how bad I did on the last line. Right. And it's just ah shit. What was I doing? Right, that it's like you freeze in a way because you're too in your head or whatnot. Yeah. That, so, that, I don't know. I kind of like that looseness. Well, that's where I would go I back to like your performance at the roast because like I've gone back and watched that several times to get in the editing for the recording together to publish on my comedy channel. Um, but I know when I was in person... Um, and it was live like I just really loved your energy and your looseness and I know like the only real crowd members was like my friend and my wife over on another table but that brashness that you had that in chargeness that you had was so cool to see because you are a quieter person and I and I'd seen you at, at wise guys open mics just kind of going through stuff and then fucking him up or this overthinking I, th I feel like I've seen that before um, so I guess just, you know, it was just so cool to see you just really kind of have a take charge, fuck it attitude. Um, and it's very curious, like what, like, 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 cause you've said, you told me at the time that having the, having an audience to really interact with, like really fuels you. Like it's, it's the only extroverted thing about you is, but like, it's, I think it's a, I think it's a standard performance thing. If you have a giving audience, then you can play way better than if it's just you and the blacklit audience of, of, you know, a theater or something like that. Yeah, or Wise Guys. Wise Guys is the place I perform the worst at. And I have to be able to not do that. I have to be able to make that change. If I'm at a bar or whatever and I feel more free... Nobody cares, so I can say whatever I want. What makes you feel less free? At, what makes you feel less free at Wise Guys? Probably, uh, what's the right word here? The uh, it's my own self, right? Like I do it to myself. Okay. The way I perceive how Wise Guys operates, right? Versus a bar, which is my own. Like conscious, it is, it is. But I also like asking the questions to help people unpack how the fuck they think. Like, what is it about Wise Guys that's different than the bars? I put the own expectation on myself to different stuff. Does that make sense? Like, if I'm at a like bar, do different, do different kinds of jokes, or say less cuss words, not get too racist. Like, what are we talking here? Like. <laughs> <laughs> I just look racist, all right. I know, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Inside, I'm peeking squish like everybody else. Damn it! Um, <laughs> like, uh, there's a weird break in my head where if I'm at a bar and I'm just fucking with people, okay. But for some reason, I don't have that same ability at Wise Guys. Like, there's, I feel like there's a higher expectation of myself to do better for those people. And where does that expectation come from? Self. Okay. Right? Like, because, I mean, you want, you want to be able to do more at a higher level. So you want to be able to be at the clubs and doing stuff and whatnot versus at the bar. 
there's a lot of times that you just kind of, I just kind of get that to the who cares really that much about what I say up here. So I'll just say, I'll go on tangents off the top of my head a lot easier. Right. Because I think nobody's going to remember it in five minutes. This is wise guys. They're there to see comedy. They've seen good comedy. Most of the time they've seen bad comedy. Here's a that expectation I put on myself to kind of be more than I am. You pressure, you, you pressure yourself. You pr so I have, I have, I'm going to give you a, a phrase. If you're in team sports, you'd know. And if you weren't, um, it's an obvious phrase. <laughs> um, have you heard of the phrase, uh, you practice the way you play and you play the way you practice? And you play the way you practice. How... And so, and so, between... and so the, the follow-up question, which is going to be an accusatory question, but it's an, but it's, a, but it's for exploratory purposes. So I'm not attacking you here, Mitch. Are you lazy at bars with your comedy? I think I'm less lazy at the bars with my comedy. Really? I'm very, I have this like approach at Wise Guys. I want to do stuff I've done before, stuff I know is going to at least have some laughs. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of the times, I'll start with a bit that I know has been working okay, and then I'll end with something new or vice right. versa. It just trying to see how it goes. Versus at a bar, I'm much more willing to say, I don't think anybody's going to remember it in five minutes. I'm much more willing to say whatever, and I'll do a set that's five minutes long that I basically just have like two lines that I've thought about for that day, and I'll go off on whatever I think. So is the bar your more so is the bar your more exploratory field to fuck around with? And yes, hundred percent. I'm way more comfortable in a dirty bar than I am at like a nice place that I view as prestigious. Right. Yeah. Because right, wise guys is like your big goal piece right now, right? Right. Yeah. So you need to get into there to get into other clubs and gain a reputation. I'm in a dirty bar for whatever reason. I feel way more comfortable. Well, because like it's it's the most obvious thing to say, but there's no expectation there, right? Like you you you're, you've been saying that, but like that's both the good thing and sort of the bad thing about it. Um, this is why I think that phrase was coming into my head is that you practice the way you play and you play the way you practice. And it's, it's kind of a question of like, where do you want to experiment and where can you experiment? Where is there places for good experimentation? Where do you have the more refined stuff and, and so on? And so why I sort of was asking that question and I, and I really appreciate your, your answer. Um, cause I don't take you for a lazy guy, like, for most anything that you fucking do. Two kids, you've been working your whole damn life. I don't think there's ever been a point in your life that you were unemployed on purpose, let's say. Or just like happily unemployed. I don't think that's sort of in your Mormon upbringing genes. There's something hardworking if I'm, if I'm profiling you properly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something real quick. Can we pause real quick? Yeah. I've just got the ether has been really bad. Yeah, no, you're good. You're good. Cut. you're good. We'll, we'll cut it. All right. Yeah. Okay. So we were trying to figure out or trying to talk about your, your difference in comfortability and performance between like wise guys and bars. And I had brought up the classic sports phrase yeah. of you practice the way you play and you play the way you practice. Um, and you said that you have taken certain jokes that have shown some some life, some laughs, 
presumably at the bars at the other things at all at all the non wise guys venues and then you go to wise guys and do they hit not as hard do you perform them less comfortably like what happens there is that like is that is that how it progresses with the, some of these jokes um and is that sort of like what i think I think so. I think that, like, you were talking about the roast and how I was pretty loose with it. Mm -hmm. I can get that way. My delivery sticks a lot better. Yeah. It's a much more natural delivery. But when I get in my head and I don't deliver well, it really it shows really bad. Yeah. That makes sense. So if I'm on a wise guy's stage and I get that anxiety and I don't deliver it because I, I'll stutter or I won't talk as loud, mm -hmm. um, and it's often it won't do as well, but if I can stay loose, it's good. Mm -hmm. Are you afraid? Are you afraid when you're? Are you? Are, are you afraid when you're on stage at Wise Guys? I'd say a little bit. I'd say part of it's being afraid, and part of it's just being too far into my head. Does that make sense? No, it can be both. It can be both. Yeah, like part of part of what. I'm trying to do to like sort of play service and help you is be like if like because it's naming the f naming the fears and letting them be accepted fears, especially by you know someone that has value in your life, let's say, or even just a stranger acknowledging something like can do a lot of value for for people, and so that's part of what the what I'm kind of trying to get out of this conversation for you since we've stumbled upon this. Um, Cause yeah, I've just I've, I've liked you since I met you, and then I just had to get over all my fears, and whether or not you knew it, like you were the first, like Salt Lake comedy, like representative that I met, and then proceeded to, you know, eventually like meet again, like two three years later, you know, um. So yeah, I've been a fan of yours for for a while, just as a person. Um, and then hearing about like where you go to like Wise Guys, which is like the prestige place of Salt Lake City, and that's where you do your worst work. It's like there's 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 a block there, and if I could help, yeah, that would be pretty fucking cool to help because I got to see like not Netflix special level shit, but I got to see like the best version of Mitch riffing his ass off inside of a bar that was half comics and half people that didn't care, and then two people that were like my wife and my friend and. It was it was so fun because like one of the best things that I do as I'm usually like a straight character in this in the social comedy world like I in the in the world where people are in social settings especially with how it is like with my friends and stuff like that I'm the straight character like the like Wayne from Letter Kenny I'm the straight character I'm also the character that always gets shat on you know I'm the one that's always getting like insulted and put down and stuff so like you getting on stage and telling me to shut the fuck up is right inside of like my my <laughs> brand of like sadomasochist shit and it's it's fucking great it's fucking great um and it also and it fit you well like for like you just that that made that combo so good it made it so fun for me cuz i know how to always be the person getting shat on um and and you and you played it out so well and so it just it, it's one of those where again i was asking you were you afraid uh, performing at Wise Guys, or are you afraid when you're on stage at Wise Guys trying to do material that may or may not have shown itself to be doing very well elsewhere? Um, I'm kind of curious, did you find yourself doing well with those jokes at like the Tuesday open mics when they were out in the lobby? 
um, or was it anything inside of the wise guy's building you end up kind of overthinking and fucking it up? I would say I probably did like 20% better in the lounge versus main stage. Right. I did okay at the Rickles too. I, I like the Lord Rickles room. I don't know if you've been to that new. I was there for the filthy. I was there for the filthy four showcase. I got to watch Donnie get back on stage for the first time in a while, and he was. He he toughed it out. He toughed out his uh, his set, and then um, De Leon. Uh, what's that guy's first name? He's back. De Leon Richards. Yeah, De Leon Richards. Yeah, he got a set that was really cool to see because I'd seen him. I think I'd seen him a few years back at some of the Tuesday open mics, and he just has that charisma and that fun. Um, it's so cool to fucking see. And then, of course, uh, Nick. Um, he didn't. He, he he didn't get the audience too well that night. Chuck did well. Uh, Colin fought with the audience a little bit, but Colin is always okay to just be the odd man out in a room of people. Like, cause I love his shit. Um. And then I got to see Dario actually like do a uh, like I I've been trying not to insult people when I was talking about this, but I had not seen certain people do like a proper like I'd seen them do open mic work where the the bits are good and they're like fine tuning them or something, um, but I had not seen them like perform their class A on a paid stage, let's say, and so seeing Dario go on up and do a set that was probably the first time I'd seen him perform. Because um, I somehow missed him at the Shades open mics. And then I did see him once more at the Midway open mic. He, sh he came after the roast, like in one of the last Sundays that I was still in town. Um, but Dario is, is good. and part Dario's great. Yeah. And even part of his charm, whether he, he knows it or not, is his, um, his self-effacing, his lack of confidence as he's like kind of fucking around on stage and just kind of appears to be struggling with his own confidence is like this is just making it's like a zach galifianakis netflix special from back in the day the first one where it's just you don't know what's about to happen but you're kind of on edge to just see what the fuck this guy does next um it reminded me of that a little bit um that's always a good reference to watch like a a, a manic act go through it um but yeah bringing it back to you um the one thought i have in mind is and this is where it's more of a pitch to see what you think about it than me telling you, like, giving you advice to, like, if you don't do this, you're going to be a fucking loser. Um, is the, what have you, have you been doing the take of just, like, getting something so good that you do it the same everywhere? I try to, if I have something settled, I try to get it, like, this is the lines I'm going to say and when I'm going to say it, then yeah, I try to do them everywhere. Right. And and you feel like you are the kind of guy that like write like you're kind of the guy that writes a or at least has a drafted script of the joke, and you're trying to run that script when you're on stage in a way, and like you you improve the script as you go mic to mic. Like, is that what your system is? So it's it's been it's been changing lately. I've been going like to book uh, mics at the bars and stuff, and just having like a bullet point an idea. Mm -hmm. or premise something i want to get to just running with it and seeing how many different things i can say or not saying what does and doesn't work and then setting a script after that does that make sense yeah yeah being more i'll just go say a bunch of stuff and be like oh this works so i can say this here or that here 
right and then i'll take that more scripted look if you will of yeah. a joke and then i'll take it to like tuesdays at wise guys how does that feel it's been going for you so far yes well how long it's have been you been how long have you been doing it like for it's like a month or what months. how long have you been like practicing like running that system how long have you been doing it like a month or two probably three weeks Oh, so yeah, I would, I yeah, would, it's, yeah, you can't judge it yet. You can't judge it yet. You have yet to download that as like an, an unconscious habit and then be able to think about yeah. just doing the comedy work and then evaluating if the system's even helpful is the way I would think about it. I had, had a moment at uh, Thoughts Mike. Right. At that time. Yeah. The whole room was just comics. There's one that was I, just comics, and I never knew that was just comics. I have my own issue. The one time I did make it to Buck's open mic there, and it's not Buck or the open mic or anything. It, my issue is just when people are bitching about there's nothing but comics in the room. And I get that's frustrating that it's not real audience members, but like the one thing I wanted to say when I was more awake and less super depressed, because when I got on, it was just ass. Um, it was depressive, horrible ass. Um it's its own blessing that anyone is listening to us. So, you know, if I, if I was going to have a moment and the balls to say like in person on stage to everyone at that open mic, it's like, shut the fuck up. Like it's a blessing. Anyone here is, is listening to us of its own accord. It's, and Tyler's like in the back, like both are just in the back laughing like way more than I think is real. But I think he just is, a freer spirit than some of, some of us, you know, like, so he's willing to give it. And I don't think he's like mocking or, or, or fucking with anyone. And we did get some audience members in that night, but yeah, that was, that was my one take. I've, I've kind of harbored with that, with the one time I went to that open, mic. it was just the bitterness. Like I don't do well with that. Yeah. It's hard to not do well with that. Cause you get up there and it's just kind of like, nobody cares. So why am I even trying but at this point, I just said, fuck it. I was like, nobody cares, so I'm just going to say whatever I want and start screwing with people or whatever. Right. If they don't like it, they don't like it. Yeah, so how did that go with the, with the bout time? Is that what you Yeah, how did that go? It was actually one of the best sets I've had in probably two months. Right. Because the people there, I mean, so not all the comments were pain, but I got some of the comments at attention. Uh, I don't remember. Somebody said something about starting us off on a high note or something. I said, like, I'm pretty sure I'm the only one in this room that probably doesn't get high at any point. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I just went off on that point and started saying whatever came to my head. And I don't even remember most of what I said, but people came up to me and talked to me afterwards. And I was like, oh, I got a little bit of attention just by fucking around. Or then trying to joke Harry had or something. Yeah. I I... Too often. Mm-hmm. In that headspace of we have this joke or we have this line or we want to change these two words for this joke and see how it says. And it's just room of comics. You're like, oh, I'm not going to get what I want from this. Why am I trying? And you go on this downhill slide instead of just, no, fuck it. We're going to do what we want. Yeah, have a chaotic optimism or something like that, if you will. Yeah. Um, what was my thought? Have you thought about going on Wise Guys with no plan? I've tried it once, and it was when I first started and went terribly. I also 
when I first started. And so I was so nervous. When I first started, I would shake so bad that it would be hard to understand and hear me. Yeah. So I would sit on the stool because it would calm down the shaking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. And I think I was more focused on that than what I was saying. So I've gone on wise guys with just like an idea or anything in my head. I've gone on and done like a bit that I know doesn't well that I've been working on lately. And then second half just go up with an idea because it was so late. I was like tearing up with it for too much. And I just I got too rambly. Yeah. You were talking about earlier. It was just like oh that second half of I sat with I was just rambling about nothing. Yeah. Um, so it crashed. Yeah, because that was the question I wanted to ask. Your th so let's just say you always get three minutes um, at Wise Guys, but so is that three minutes your three minutes or is that the club's three minutes and how you think about it? I don't think it's our three minutes. I mean, it's our three minutes of stage time that we get for sure, but I think it's the audience's three minutes. Well, that's fair to like give the audience that. I'm just, I'm sort of asking the kind of question to sort of pause it like, where do you place sort of the ownership and the ability to have ownership over the time and the performance that you're giving? Because, like, the audience... The audience... And this is just me, like, talking, like, kind of theory-crafting as a very young comic, but there's something about, like, having ownership over what you're doing, treating the audience as your, as your feedback, because that's how this art works. Um, but I don't know. I just kind of like how you acted both in, it sounds like with how about the bout time open mic went uh bucks open mic and then how it was like sort of at the roast was like the most ownership you sort of had at least i think what i saw was you taking ownership of the time that you were given and 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 rolling with it am i like getting too far away like conceptually from like how it actually was for you in those experiences I think there's 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 a balance, right? Because it is our time to do what we have. Mm -hmm. It's also time that the audience is giving us, so it is their time. I think there has to be a balance between confidence that I've written and the amount of space to rift that I give myself. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Uh, have you ever have you ever watched uh, Big J Elkerson? Yeah seen him live before like in no person. but i did see his like last like his mad dog or whatever special uh dog belly dog belly yeah, yeah. um so i've seen him live three times there's something that he has that i really wish that i think i had a little bit of during your roast and when i do do well where he comes in he sits on the stool right he has this water ball, and he puts the microphone up to him. When he does that, his attention is on him. He's able to grab it and control it in such a way that he can say certain things and pull things out of people that normally might not happen. There's a certain, like, settled control of the room that that confidence gives you mm -hmm. that I just don't have most of the time. Have you, what's your relationship with silence? I've been playing with it more. 
Friday, they started. Uh, I don't know if you remember when Chuck was running. Well, not really running, but hosting the mic down. In no, store. but I, I seen on his Instagram, he started his open mic on Friday nights back up, right? Is that what you're talking about? Yeah, so yeah. it's back up on Friday nights. There was a moment there where I just sat in the silence for a second, and I just told the audience straight up, I was like, I'm just going to sit in the awkward silence for a minute because it's kind of fun for me just to see what their reaction was and then not say anything. Did they stay silent? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was a couple of chuckles at first and then dead silence. How did you feel as that was happening? Entertained. <laughs> like, it's just kind of fun to watch people like stare at you for a minute like all right what do we do now uh i think it's gotten better when i first started doing comedy i felt like i had to fill in every single space mm -hmm. that i think comes from the fact that i did work in a music studio you're in a music studio and you're working with bands and stuff you want to fill in the space yeah musically speaking and so i think part of it came from that was my background and so i always was like oh i've got to say things here and i can be very ramblonish i i can see that it I, doesn't work the same. no i i can get that from the art from the different art perspective what i end up thinking about is what because stand-up comedy is is I, I keep always bringing this up in most of my conversations but i like the theory and so my listeners can fuck off I believe there are around five or there's, well, there's five or six kinds of sort of comedy. Okay, there's improv, which is um, comedy that is it's a performance that's performed with no practice but looks practiced, right? Um, there is stand up, which is supposed to look improvised and off the cuff, but it's highly rehearsed. Um, and then you have uh, then you have like skit comedy, which is like a full and an acting sort of comedy, which is like written and, and props and everything like that, because improv usually uses very minimal props um, and so on. But the one thing that I think about is that is, is social comedy is how I categorize it. It's like usually like the fifth one. It's the one that everyone always ends up thinking will translate to the stage very well. It's kind of like you're with friends and then your friends are funny. And then you're like, you should do stand up. And they're like, yeah, I could totally do stand up. And then they get up there and they bomb their ass off because what makes them so funny inside of your friend group is the layers and years of background. Um, and so, um, and, and what this is feeding with the silence thing is sort of the part where when people have all of the how funny they are in social settings um, or otherwise. Um, and also what all of our practices in the Western world, and I guess in just how we are as social animals, that that, that awkward silence that we all like really named in like around like high school area of like 2008, no one likes that awkward silence. And so we like to fill that because the silence is unsettling and that gets very clearly and very obviously, I don't think this is a surprise to anyone listening to this, that when you're on stage and you're in front of the whole village that might be, and the only time this happens evolutionary that you're in front of the whole stage and the whole village is when you're about to be either made the king or killed. More likely the second, right? It's like you're about to be excommunicated from the whole village because something horrible has happened. Um, so I just really think that, I, I, one thing that silence is one of the most powerful tools any type of performer can have. Two, um, I think the natural instinct before even your music uh, training as an audio engineer 
informs like silence as not an obvious tool. So between the awkwardness, which I think you enjoy awkward shit, you just love making people uncomfortable. Um, it's, it's, it's part of what you get off at in social and even comedy situations, I trust. Um, but I still would not doubt that you as a human would still meet those, those silences and either treat that as failure because they're not laughing, treat that as your need to fill it in because music reasons, um, or fill it in because of social awkward reasons. Does that all sort of like make sense and sound somewhere inside of like how you experience it? Yeah, for sure. And I have like a natural channel, I think, of awkward and angriness comes off me. I haven't exactly filtered, forgot how to filter that stream constantly of this awkward angriness. Uh, awkward angry. And you're saying awkward angry, right? <laughs> awkward angriness. Yes, awkward angry. Have you ever considered like leaning into it? Like be a little bit, right? I just haven't figured out how to do it well. Well, so I I think there there is sort of a question, and it's and we're not I'm not trying to get into any of your traumas or any deep stuff. Not on this episode. Um, <laughs> um, but do you, would you describe yourself as an angry person, like in terms of just regular personality, or are or would you say you're angry more by how life experience has molded your opinion? I think a little bit of both, right. but I think I just naturally come off as a little angry. Okay. I've had people throughout my life, I was like, oh, you always seem angry, and I won't be angry at all. Part of it, I think, is playing with that silence. Like, if I'm just sitting there, like, observing something or being silent, mm -hmm. I don't smile a lot because I just told my whole life it was creepy. That's why I did that. I'm sorry. Right, I'm right, really right. sorry you got told that. That's so. That's... Don't worry. It was my sister was the first one to do it. What a cunt! What a fucking um, cunt! <laughs> that's horrible. It's not wrong. It's fucking horrible, dude. My sister's, my sister's my favorite person in my family too. <laughs> She's your favorite person. Oh, hundred percent. That's sweet. But also, like, when did she tell you that? Like, as little kids or something? Or oh yeah, it must have been ten, yeah. eleven years old. Yeah, like I yeah. And, and so I like will smile with my mouth closed pretty often. It's just like, and so there's a natural like angriness that people I think look at me for. I'm sure well, the mohawk doesn't help, but it's fine. I I, <laughs> I will tell you, uh, pretty much regardless of how ugly the teeth of the smile are, I. I personally always prefer like a toothful smile because it's the most genuine smile. Like human f facial reactions are universal across the entire fucking globe, um, which means that I really hate it when I find like Europeans smiling because all they do is just they just do a they just do a lip smile, <laughs> and I hate it. I hate it because even if they have good teeth, they're not doing that smile because I I, I don't know why. I just I can always. I can always feel like I can spot Europeans by them smiling that way. Um, and I do hate that your sister, for how wonderful of, of a sibling and friend she is to you, she fucking sucks for telling you that your smile is fucking creepy. Because <laughs> I just, I don't like feeling like people need, like, need permission to fucking smile. Like, I, I'm, getting on, I'm getting on a soapbox that is probably perfectly solved in your world, but fuck that. Like, fuck that shit. Like, <laughs> Like, oh, it's fine. It's, it's always has been kind of the punching bag for my family, so it's 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 what it is. Well, I I have created my entire like, that's that's great, Mitch. I created that for my social world. 
you being the punching bag of your family may or may not be a traumatic issue that's a problem in your fucking life, dude. Like, at, <laughs> I, I don't know if I can endorse that right now. It's only, we're at an hour and a half right now, but I don't know if I can endorse your family continuing to kick your ass like that. They're supposed to be supportive. Okay. Like, they're, they're supposed to be annoyingly sinuous. supportive. You're, you're, they're supposed to be annoyingly supportive, not calling you, like, you know, a, a creepy smiler or some fucked up shit. Like, that's... <laughs> I'm trying to work on a bit right now where uh, it's funny that you mentioned like my family's supposed to be supportive of like ever since I got divorced, my mother's been super passive aggressive of me, and I just had this line of like redoing the idea of being the black sheep of the family because my coworker was just like, "Hey, you gotta you gotta trim some lines in that family tree sometimes, man." Mm -hmm. But it's like I'm the line being trimmed, even if it's by myself on that family tree. I'm okay with them of what i'm into and i'm not going to say sorry for what i'm into right i'm okay with me being the fucking one they're going to make the black out of mm -hmm. <laughs> like the black sheep of the family they're going to make a nice card out of this black wool it's fine right it's always been that way yeah i've been a highly religious redneck family Just i i hear that i reason why they how you feel <laughs> as you <laughs> as you presented here in a very raw form uh it sounds like poetry um, which has very good utility in in emotional processing, and my only thing I would think of is write out the poetry. Um, and if you have any emotional processing you want to actually get out of that, I would encourage that for just healthy people. Um, and then you get to figure out if you want to take that poem and then reconstruct into like a comedy Frankenstein monster. Um, that's that's at least one of the things that I think about because I have a, I have a high prioritization on people emotionally processing things in life, um, and that's its own thing. Um, yeah, but I do like that you're processing that and, and trying to make some really good fun out of that. And you're you. It sounds like you have put on the black wool, if you will, with a little bit of a smile on your face. Yeah, it's a little bit of that chip on my shoulder type of you know the mean attitude. Right. But that's fine. Right. The, the 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 line I had in my head is of you getting like the one that's tri trimmed off the tree is like yeah now you're on little sapling and you're gonna just make your own fucking tree. <laughs> sure, it's just nice that I'm the one with the kids in my family where it's just like I'm I'm over here doing this. You can you can either decide yeah, whether you're okay it, with it technically or not. yeah technically you're the only they might have trimmed you off. You're the only thing that's growing. You know, you just look at your sister like yeah that. You need to get that cunt to use, honey. Like, you need to, you need to get something done here. Like, procreate, bitch. Probably not going to happen. She's busy finishing her doctorate. Oh, she's too smart to have kids. That's, that's a tragedy. <laughs> Fuck. That's a tragedy. She's too smart to have kids, man. Damn it. Idiocracy she's, is happening yeah, every day. She's getting her doctorate for, oh, 100%. Uh, she's getting her doctorates. I don't know if they actually doctorate is called it's something to do with hospital administration but she's getting it okay. from yeah the fancy doctor college that i'm forgetting the name of uh, john hopkins oh wow oh she's that's <laughs> i am sorry that your if your parents compare you to her that is that is that is horrible that is shit oh my gosh because that is john hopkins is the top of the medical universities oh, in, in the yeah. country so like, she was also the first child they had. Oh, she's. She, are you the second born of of two or third? Oh, you're third in the line. Third of four. 
Okay, you're the third of four. Okay, so you proper, yeah, proper rednecks <laughs> for that for that for that child count. So you're third of four. Yep. You get the awkward younger middle child, and you're the only black sheep of the four. Hundred percent. Huh. I my my sister's in Baltimore. She's going to John Hopkins, right? Yeah, that's the oldest, she's right? The smart one. When they're compared, everybody, yeah, she's the oldest firstborn, so everybody's compared to that. Oh God. My my brother is the one who still lives with mom and dad, but went on a mission and everything. Still involved. So very in line. Almost. Yeah. And then my younger brother with special needs. Oh. Uh, so I just got stuck. Yeah. You want to talk about middle child awkwardness? I was having a fun conversation with my buddy because I need to go back, I think, probably to therapy. I was talking with him, and there's this idea within therapy of you're neglected as a child, you're often the most productive. You always feel like you have to be doing something yep. yourself because there was nobody else there. Yep. And as I was having this conversation with them, I realized I was on the phone having a conversation and wiping down the walls that my kids tended to touch because they were turned. <laughs> you have been turned. Stopped, like mid scrub, like, oh, it's right. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like yeah, you uh you've you've been uh raised into an overproductive adult. That's rough, buddy. That's, <laughs> I also relate. I also re I was an only child. I was I was an only child. I got all my parents' attention and it still wasn't enough. Um <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> like, so you're awesome, man. We're at, they're just like he's over there doing his own thing. We're just gonna let him be. Well, if we're, we're if we're gonna if, if we're gonna trauma share my guy, like let's throw down. Like <laughs> I got. Well, I got the. I was. I got the great thing of being an only of an only child. But what that means is that I only share when I'm in a highly uh, generous state. Like I feel rich or able to share in a moment otherwise sharing is sort of hard for me um i had a fundamentalist uh kind of um softly fundamentalist like the earth is young not procreate as fast as you can kind of fundamentalist um so i had the kind of uh, christian upbringing that was a uh, creationist that was um very faith-based was having a very hard time incorporating um scientific literature into how the world worked um so that that created its own fun complications but being the only child meant that i got like all of my mo my mother's strictness um focused in on and so i've been dealing with my own unravelings of that um because i believe very clearly that i'm a highly sensitive like just person like and so i'm and so between being like sensitive and then highly attentive um, and just noticing a billion things, the the activation of like mom's uh, critique, um, value sets, um, and the kind of guilt tripping or shaming that occurred, um, just created its own cocktail of of um, hyper independence, um, overactivity, um, messiness. Um, that is all that historically was far more of a shame point. Um, until I sort of accepted that my brain and my, I, I'm quite unique from most everyone on both sides of my biological family. Um, my wife has told me several times, like, I don't think you're going to find anyone like you, honey. 
as much as you might want to find someone like you so you don't you feel a little less alone in in in, in a regard um so so yeah that's i got compared constantly to what i could be rather than what i wanted to be or what i was kind of thing i guess is a way to phrase it um and so i guess just by proxy i ended up being i ended up being like by 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 mathematics i was a mama's boy but not by how that relationship sort of went like my mom for its for for good or for ill was never a place of like running for refuge or safety from like bad things she was the bad thing so like <laughs> so yeah that's 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 my little it's like nice 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 serve on the tennis court <laughs> and i return with only child syndrome like <laughs> <laughs> it feels like we both got uh mother issues but from different yeah. oh yeah opposing sides of the line oh yeah no I'm very yeah. i'm messy we well i think we i think i think it bothers me i've got two things and it bothers me over here <laughs> right right jesus well i think i think we also had i think as millennials we because when did you graduate high school 2010 so we're, yeah we're the same exact fucking age yeah um we we as millennials had to grow up with like the biggest revolution in technology and information like ever in the history of the world and at least for for me what that meant is that i was always playing this game of in my mind calling all the adults stupid because it's like this has been around for as long as we've both been around with it how have you not learned how to send an email or not need to double space after a period on microsoft word or, or all this other crap um and then um what was it learning all that stuff realizing how much wasn't known versus how much could be known and now is known like it's pretty it's pretty crazy to go through the internet and realize kids have no idea of how ignorant we were like in the 90s of how other cultures existed like period and then the internet oh, yeah. shows up and our ability to understand like yours and i's ability to go on the internet and understand how ethiopian culture is is insane because the only chance you had was to go to a public library and hope they had books about that country and that culture and so on so yeah we go we grow up with the great advancement of technology and information adapting to that because of how our brains were at that age um i don't want to even begin thinking about ai i'm just too old to give a fuck and i'm 32 um <laughs> 31 32 like i don't i don't want to give a fuck um <laughs> So we grew up with all of those fucking changes and then all of these expectations and shit from the older world and it's just a goddamn co Molotov cocktail of bullshit. I think I got lucky in how I grew up while moving the Lego. Because I grew up at a level my household where uh, I got told at one point I know things I don't like I should know. I think I got that comes from a certain level of working myself up. Uh, I don't want to say we were poor necessarily, but all my hand-me-downs, including like shoes, were from my cousins. <laughs> and so I got to see the whole spiel from, you know, the dial phone going around to the phone on the wall, to the cell phones. They, you know, I got a whole level of things as a millennial. Yeah, the age I grew up for and level of like financial ability of my family. Yeah, it was like oh, 
I'm happy I can afford pants. <laughs> it, it got you very grateful for simple things in life. 100%. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. That's that is very that is very fantastic. Um, shit, yeah, that was very cool. I'm still appreciating just Thanks. the going outside and playing thing. I love playgrounds. But look at me funny. I'll take my kids to playgrounds and uh, climb on like the outside and stuff of them. <laughs> the kind of climbing you could do as a kid, but now like I can handle that jump and I can just monkey up on the side of this thing like like yeah, fucking yeah. King Kong. I'm doing all the things we're supposed to tell the kids not to do for right. safety purposes. I'm like, ah, it's fine. What's the worst that's going to happen? Oh yeah, no, no, I. <laughs> I think about if, like, I'm just the dad at the playground. One, I've got my pipe tobacco, but two, um, <laughs> but just shut up, Karen. <laughs> Go get him. <laughs> nice black eye. Like, um, but I'm just like, because what I think about is just like, no, like, I think the, I think a lot of what I, what I end up thinking about there is like, no, I want the kid to be able to climb around on all things that all of the mother, everything that the mother is scared about. I like any standard stereotypical mother's gonna be scared. I was like, okay, then I'm gonna be the dad that's present. Like, no, they're gonna do this, and I'm gonna be right here. So that while they're monkey barring on the exterior of the playground, it's like, okay, where can I be positioned on the ground or even on the <laughs> wall to be like, and pff, all right, there we go, back up, let's go. Like, I think, I think that affected help like that me too, as far as like comedy. Like, I have to do things really bad first before I can yeah. do them. Well, yeah, no. Work through from the bottom. Yeah, up through things takes me time. Like, me and you both started in a similar time as Chuck, but look how far Chuck's gone. Well, because and... his inhibitions really aren't there. Versus me, I have to do things really poorly and work from the bottom, and so it's going to take me way more time to be kind of in that game as you talk about where I'm loose on the stage and just talking. Yeah, well, and I think you guys just have different challenges. Um, and also Chuck has, like, a, a very different sort of life experience between, like, a way of pointing this out, because even um, I, I reconnected with a high school friend also at that open mic I was at last night. Um, and it was of no surprise to me that he did his first ever stand-up performance at this open mic. And he did very clearly better than me. Like, I had the attention of the audience, but my laughs per minute w was very low. I, 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 could, I could guarantee that with just my memory, not even listening to the recording. But, um, but, but Jacob had been doing acting and dancing and teaching dance and stuff like that, um, and uh, he's gay. So there's a certain point where he has enough stats by, by personality, yes, of being, a, be, being an effeminate personality type as, as a gay man. Um, but also just being in performing arts since he was young. Like, I had aspired and I wanted to be in performing arts. I wanted to be in drama. I did want to do, like, dance and things like that. Um, but when you don't have the reps, you're sort of lacking in, in, in certain things. So, like, if you were, if you were going to try to, and I would never encourage you to fucking do it, you dumbass, um... But if you're gonna compare, if you are gonna compare yourself to Chuck, you need to like the thing I would remind you, and I would have you remind yourself, is that Chuck has a background in performance just from being in, in having a small rap career. 
So he knows how to go up on a stage in like probably a dirty warehouse or something and deliver rap lyrics with a straight face or with like a sense of like purpose. Even though, you know, listening to him in New- Nick Lucero's podcast, like he's never done any hardcore gangster shit. He's done some dumb shit. He's done some B&E kind of shit or something like that. But, you know, he's he's got that to him. He's a grandfather. You know, he's raised kids. He's had divorces. Like he's got a lot of life that just gives him a, a core confidence to go up there and fail with more grace for himself than you might give. Does that make well, I sense? Think, I think what it, it does prevent him from making some mistakes that I've done. Such so as? Like the first year that I did this, I only went once a week. You can't really get good at it no. only going once a week. No. So that, like, those mistakes of not going so often and whatnot, and knowing the value of what you're supposed to do on stage, I, had to learn, I have to learn through the experience of doing it. Just he's already been, you know, I mean, those, the people with that background automatically know those things are able to push past them were you a gift- experiences were you a gifted kid at all in school was that a thing over in utah at all were you okay and what and the way i'm gonna like sort of reclassify the same question is was was school easy for you for like most of through high school was it easy for you or did you struggle no it was I sloughed a lot because I didn't like being in class. Uh, I don't do well in the standards, like sit at desk with 40 different people in the room type of thing. Uh, I pretty much failed through until senior year. I made up eight full credits my senior year through packets and extra classes, able to graduate. Along with but, the regular curriculum. Yeah, but that's never, that's clearly not an indication of your intelligence. It has, it sounds far, far more like your interest and ability, not even ability. It sounds like you weren't interested in school and how it was done, um, which is no surprise to anyone in the American education system. Like, not even you, not even talking about you. Because um, I slept through a lot of classes, but I also had a very, I, I saw this early on is that if I write, if I wrote out, like I, my easiest memory is my American history course, um, which was an AP US history course. And as long as I wrote the notes out, I'd never look at the notes again, but it would be downloaded enough that I would be able to retain it long enough for the test in like a month or something like that. Um, and and of course we had to go through review or something like that. Um, but yeah, part because part of I guess what I'm sort of asking, um, because gifted kids these days and a lot of kids that were just of a higher intelligence or at least of of the interest and ability to succeed at school, um, they succeed too easily because all of the education is just geared for the middle or the lower de- denomination, and everyone's grouped by their age group. So even if you could do chemistry at fifth grade you're just going to be sitting there bored doing multiplication tables even though you are smart enough um and so what ends up happening is that these gifted kids um or just you know people that's that do very well instead of academic academia they end up easily succeeding for so long that they never learn about the long process of, of just study habits or practice inside of a craft to get better so then when they go to college or they get to things that actually start challenging them they just fail 
outright because they only knew ease of success. Um, now, does that make sense in terms of a concept, and does that make sense for you at all? Because it just sounds like you just didn't give a fuck and didn't want to be there, so you just kind of didn't give a fuck till senior year. Like, can I get all this done and still graduate? Great, I'll just do that. Um, yeah, I think so. But part of that is you don't learn how to learn until later on, if that makes sense. I did well in uh, college. I think I graduated with like a 3.4 or something like that. Right. So I did fine in college, but for my, I think my in GPA for high school was 3.1. Let's call it, did college just feel like more self-directed? And you were doing that of your own accord, right? Because you'd moved out, right? Yeah. Yeah, so the moment you got to uh, choose what you wanted to do, you yeah, did well, it sounds like. Yeah, if I'm not interested in it, I just don't. Yeah, no, that's a... It doesn't even kick on. Yeah, no, that's a normal thing that people previously didn't fucking understand. Um, interest dictates things far more than anything else ever will. Even your projected income, if you have a PhD. Um. <laughs> uh, so yeah, college was a lot funner. Which, and you just did audio engineering, you said, more right? Fun. Yeah, and you're saying that was just fun for just was that more fun for you in terms of just how the education was, or just the social and the and the college activities? Like, what was fun about it for you? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there was only, because it was a grade school, a tech school, and so there was only, when we finished the year, like the schooling before we all went to internship, I think there was nine people in my class only. Started with like 12. Right. Uh, and it was a lot more based in doing the actual stuff. Yeah. Rather than just reading a book about crap it. Crap like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know that checks out. So. Definitely the type of person who has to learn through hands-on doing. Yeah. Which means you're gonna you're gonna fail a lot along the way. Yeah, but I mean, have you get to, gotten to the point, maybe not in comedy, but in other things where the failure sort of feels good because it's like it's a it's a learning thing or whatnot. Yeah, I think there's also understanding of uh trying to think of what the quote is there's a quote something along the lines of the people who have mastered a subject often failed more times than other people have even tried yeah i know i know that kind of quote you're talking about there's like a michael jordan version of that quote of you know how many shots he took versus how many he made versus like the infinite number he missed on his way to becoming michael jordan so yeah i know i know what you're talking about oh shit yeah. Cool. Although I did get that from Michael Jordan for sure. <laughs> no, I just I remember seeing like a poster like my biology class for some reason in ninth grade. Um, there was just that like inspirational quote there, and I'm just like that has to do with frogs totally. Um, <laughs> um I only saw clips of it because I don't I I don't I haven't been able to tell. But how did the, were you there at the Chuck Roast Fury? Yeah, I mean, it was, I... I think I just down that, that shit up. I just think I just dyslexic that word, actually. Did, I, did you just chuck roast down fury? <laughs> well, you're thinking roast like you cook. That's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> Which is great, by the way, because I have a calendar on my fridge. Uh -huh. You just use my drive race. And so it just said chuck roast on that Sunday. 
which for most people is more about what you cook rather than <laughs> going to actually about some old balding fucking white dudes. <laughs> well, how did how did that go? How did that go for for y'all and for you? I was I was kind of excited because yours was fun, and so I was kind of wanted to do it. Uh, and this time they set all the roasters on the table right up front. But I think the problem with that is um, it coming with the same amount of confidence and that bar is kind of hit and miss. Yeah. And there was some football game going on. It wasn't Raiders, I know, because they wouldn't have let us do it, but it was some other football game and there's a big table over there that just wanted to watch the football game. It's yeah. so, like they kept yelling out and stuff during it like, ah, oh, this is and so, yeah, I didn't do as near as well on that one as I did on yours. That's all right. I had, I had a kind of a higher concept joke that I tried to do, too, versus what I tried to do on yours. Right, yeah. How do you feel about roast material for you in general, or roast work? For yours, I was really nervous because I didn't want to come off as too mean. Yeah, that's usually everyone's concern. That's always been my concern with roasts. Is right. I, I'm just I, I don't want to come off as like ah fuck this guy. Right. But once yours went decent and I felt decent about it, I was like, okay, we can we can try more of this. I liked I liked but, especially as the target for everyone. I like to be as giving and as wholesome while I was being roasted with everyone. And in fact, the um, I've told Spencer this and. Um, I have not told Aaron, but um, Aaron's opening joke for me was a little of a zinger, where it's like, usually we reserve this for people that have been in comedy for longer than 15 minutes, but I guess we're throwing that out the window. And I was like, that's funny. It also zings a little. And then Spencer, <laughs> Spencer's, I've actually marked it inside of the timeline on the editing as like, ouch, for certain jokes that he had. Because I was like, oh, this hurts. Yep, this hurts. This is him getting his frustrations with me at his open mic out right now in this roast. This, <laughs> maybe he's trying to be funny. I don't think he's trying to be mean. Uh, him and I talked a little bit both after and then um, before I left town. Um, but yeah, there were, those are the only ones that were actually like, oh, I'm, I, they've hit a chord. They've hit a chord. I need to deal with this chord. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I see. I, I bet I get what you're worried about with trying to be mean. Um, I, I always suggest this to people, but go back and look at like Don Rickles roasting people, um, at the old school ones. Yeah. Well, cause Rickles is a legend for just insulting everyone left and right. But part of what I've talked to, I think Chuck and others about is what you can kind of see, especially when you're in the art form, even a little bit is you can see that there's this wholesomeness between how they're connected as, as, as actors, as comics or whatnot. And you kind of, and that's where, that's where what I tried to take that wholesomeness of just like, this is our, like, this is your performance. And the little human moments we're going to have is either, is either you warming up trying to get into being a, a mean comic person or at the end when it's like handholds and just those, those thanks you for being here. You've been wonderful. And, and these very wholesome closes that like make it that differentiate between like the act and then, like, the very sweet send-off. And I always try yeah. to... And that's how I think about with roasts. It's what, where I have a lot of excitement about doing roasts. 
um, whether I'm the target or not. Um, like I recorded, um, or I had to get a recording of me roasting Amanda, and I went and enjoyed that because I was also of the mindset. It allowed me to get rid of any insecurities. I was like, oh no, you asked for this. So when my punchline is you're a useless cunt for like a decent premise setup, like we're, we're here, we're going in, we're going fucking in. Um, <laughs> so I just, I don't know. I, I, I really enjoy and take well, and I, I like to think I will take well to that, but I was very curious about how you feel about doing it. And you know, it doesn't surprise me that you're not, that you're worried about being mean, especially since you always look so angry. <laughs> I do. I always look angry. So angry. I think people might assume I have like a low bevalent low man syndrome. That's why I come off as angry. The other pet peeve I have uh, roast is I want to see uh, more creative roasts mm -hmm. people and not necessarily that kind of fine line of the obvious thing that's sitting there. And the one thing they did have at Chuck's is uh, Kayla. Mm. So, a really good one on me, and it wasn't your typical thing. And so I got a big giggle out of that versus uh, like Spencer Riley. Nothing against him personally for it, but he went like the uh, meth head joke or whatever. And it's like, yeah, I look like I did drugs. I know. Any, I've heard it many times. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm with you. I'm with you. I get I really that. Want, I really want that. Oh, well, that's where okay, I was. Come on. The better. Well, you could speak for yourself, but I, so I explained it, I know, a few times. I gave that Google Doc of just that bullet point of my biography, and listening to the recording now, it seems like, actually, it feels like a lot of the comments were really weirded out by that. <laughs> it's like, it, was, it was just unusual. Yeah, and if it's unusual, great, but if it felt, like, weird, like it's me being too open or something like that, like, that's... I guess it's kind of like my concern. It being weird doesn't it being weird in a functional way doesn't surprise me. But I believe I did explain at the time, like part of what I want to do is like, okay, I know none of you really fucking know me. So here's a mountain of material of shit and and like run with it. Um and I was very happy that my two favorite jokes actually out of that whole thing, um, because yours was because you're 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 number three. Um, but yours was just seeing you just like kind of own the stage and just play with play with the crowd and such. But it was Dennis McMenus's closing bit about me and Melanie trying to have kids so he can give my stepdad a date, um, which is still just funny when I watch it. And then the other one was Aaron Orlovitz's yeah his opener, but he had the closing one where he's like, you look like a virgin and a date rapist at the same time, and I don't know how that works. And I was like, that that checks out too fucking hard right now, my friend. <laughs> that checks out too hard. You're Holy a very God. unsuccessful date rapist. Something like that. <laughs> like, oh, it was just, that was, I, I feel like that kind of, because that was the most creative, it's, it, what probably helped make the, make some of that so funny is that it was just so creative or it just gets some sort of f essence about how someone looks or what kind of vibe they're putting off of. And so that's where, you know, we'll have our cursory conversation about, like, you know, the consistent method joke around, like, you and your appearance. But someone that could get a more creative metaphorical take on it or, or a simile on it would be way funnier. Like, you know, the Super Saiyan born in a trailer park. 
would be like an inch more creative and maybe and and maybe and just maybe getting more than that would would probably be more original or more funny or more of a surprise as a joke instead of roasting you you know that's that's i don't know that's that's kind of like me th thinking out loud with it Kayla's was funny since I don't remember the exact line. Do you know if anyone recorded the whole something. thing, or was it only like little bits of it? Because I've only seen little bits of it roll around through Instagram or whatnot. Well, no, if it all got recorded or not. I think only some of it. I think bits and pieces only got recorded. But she had to joke about uh, gapping my teeth and being able to keep my family together. And that was really. <laughs> <laughs> it was. That was good. <laughs> I don't even know what that means right now, but that's just, just those, those two, <laughs> connecting those two topics is just funny. Oh, it was great. It was fantastic. And then another comedian uh, said, and ironic because I do love Scott Punk, uh, said I look like a dress as if Scott Punk was still lifestyle. Yeah, I think I remember hearing that or something. <laughs> I think I remember hearing that or something in like quality. Like, quality yeah, references <laughs> quality reference right now um yeah scott doesn't get referenced a lot these days so when it gets pulled out of the corner it's fucking great had a little bit of a minor comeback and a slip in i think it's one of those because of how the internet is all of the music's just gonna exist equally and the zeitgeist is just gonna pick what's popular for a time but everything everything should could prop everything could possibly exist um, at least in a getting published kind of way, you know, that so we'll see. But yeah, that was about two hours. How'd you feel about that? Interesting. I do feel like there, there's enough covered and enough left over. Two hours wasn't too bad. Ah. I'm curious as to not plan anything out where the conversation would go. Like, we didn't plan anything out? Yeah. I mean, to some extent, my, like, not much of that was really... I have no notes. <laughs> I have no notes for this, like, that I've, that I've been even looking yeah. at. Like, I have general scope, and I have what I've done before, um, you know, because I did do a bit of background for Chuck and Spencer and Nami, and I, I pretty much did a full biography with Dennis um, when I had him on last week. Um you know, just going through like his divorce because apparently there's a bunch of winners in in Salt Lake, and <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of us. <laughs> there is a lot of us. Um, I, I think yeah, because uh, that's that's yeah, that's two for it's two for four. It's two for four uh, for Salt Lake so far for divorcees. Um, but uh, as far as you interviewed. Yeah, because um, the way I, the way I would talk about it um, as we as we wrap up is that I had Chuck on first because Chuck was easy. I I kind of befriended Chuck, um, and we've been chatting between. Yeah, yeah, he's the king. He he's the biggest winner. He's the king. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, but then I had Spencer and then Nami on because those two were really intimidating me for their own reasons. Um, just how I'd reacted to meeting them and seeing them and, you know, Spencer being a host, Nami being very good inside of stand-up and performing. Um, and then 
And yeah, so once I got those three accomplished, I was like, okay, I can revive this podcast and actually do something that I've been wanting to do for since like 2019, 2018. And I've just gotten through all the, I've gotten through a majority of the mental hurdles um, and still am hitting a few of them. Um, but getting, getting them to just do the podcast, do that. But yeah, um, Chuck, divorcee, Nami and Spencer, never married, and then you. So yeah, and then, yeah, and then uh, Dennis. So that's three for five. It's three for five, actually, in terms of <laughs> divorcee counts, um, which is just a random silly fact. I don't even know why that's important. Um, but yeah, um, anything you wanted to plug? Do you have any showcases or anything coming up? I am going to try to get this up. I, I need to get um, Dennis's up because we recorded on Thursday. Um, but is there anything you wanted to shout out? Any showcases you got going up that you're featuring on or anything like that? Uh, I'm going to be at, not on the post or anything or anything for it, but uh, Buck's got a showcase he's you and I'm going to go up and help him with on the 20th, but that's the only thing I have a schedule right now coming up. Cool. Nice. And uh, was it Mitchell H. McMurdy for your Instagram? If you post anything there. Yeah, I need to be better about posting things online. It's hard. It's very hard. I gotta remember to post things on. Cool. Well, is there anything you wanted to hit on before we get out of here, man? I don't think so. Cool. Well, thank Hopefully you for coming. Oh, I think it was really interesting. I really enjoyed going down, like, sort in a, in a way, just what your psychology is around how you're performing and how your development and your performances and how Wise Guys gives you... A, a block for now. I, I kind of think you need to go on there yeah. one day and just be like, you know, I'm going to, this is going to be like my three minutes. Fuck everyone in here right now. <laughs> and be okay with that. It does feel like I've got to go up with that attitude. Just this, fuck everybody. That's what we're doing. Like, here nothing, we go. Like, I would just say Matt Tribe is not my, I don't have a taste for his kind of entertainment. I love Matt Trapp. He's chaos on the stage. And he fantastic. is. He is. And I will not ever, like, part of my mindset for coming into the Orlando scene is I don't decide who's funny. The audience does. And Matt Tribe is the best, biggest example of not my taste, but clearly entertaining, clearly interesting, and gives me a headache. The headache does not, <laughs> the headache does not disqualify him from being a bookable good entertainer um but but for you it's like well take some of that matt tribe chaos energy and apply your anger um <laughs> to it or something you know and uh and see if you and have have that fun with it let's say so less pessimistic about myself as i get off stage yeah i think is the key to unlocking that a bit of stream of what I need to get into. Yeah. I'd say see how I'd say stop. I'd say for a while you could stop evaluating yourself on your performance and evaluate yourself on how you're thinking about your performance. Which is like some meditative, you know, shit, but you can watch how you think and then note this is a, this is actually a fact um and we can leave on this. Noticing the behavior specifically like even the mental behavior is 
the first step and damn near like the last step of sort of fixing that poor mental pattern. It's not, I've noticed it, now I have to do something about it. It's just noticing, oh, that's how I think about that. And just by noticing it, you will sort of automatically like fix it. It's some kind of wushu sounding shit, but... <laughs> I... Just the term wushu. <laughs> we wasabi. So... But yeah, give 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 your thoughts a thought, because um, I think you're funny. I think you should smile. I think you should be allowed to smile. Don't don't fucking do that right now. Don't fuck with me. <laughs> that's how I smiled like in my elementary. That's that's the exact smile I gave like in like some kindergarten first grade photo. All I knew about smiling was like show your teeth. So I was just. It was, it was so. I cash. have a weird, weird ability to like shake my head. Not the rest of my body. Oh, just by clenching. It's by creepy. Yeah, I know that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just turn yourself into a fucking shake and bake. I don't know. All right, let's get the fuck out of here.